Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. My guest today has spent years studying the funding and the technology of the solar industry in the United States. And he spent the last eight years helping companies in Europe switch to solar power. Harold Overholm is a co-founder and the CEO of Alight, the firm he launched in 2013. Alight is the leading solar power purchase agreement provider in the Nordics. I'm excited to talk to Harold today about how the incremental reduction in the cost of solar in Europe will keep driving the price down globally. So all you listeners who are investing in renewable energy should tune in to this conversation. Hello, Harold, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast, too. So uh, really looking forward to, to the conversation today. Terrific. Harold, you've spoken recently on several developments that are driving the shift to solar power by companies, governments, and grid owners. Briefly explain these for our listeners. Yeah, so look, let's start with what I think is the most important uh, constituents here, which is the, the customers. So the actual clients that can drive the energy transition by buying solar power. Um, and what's happened is, of course, the most important thing, it's always worth starting with the money. So the most important thing is that solar, the cost of solar, the cost of producing solar power has come down so significantly. I mean, it, it's down by almost 90% over the last decade, but it just keeps decreasing. Um, while um, across most of Europe and, and, and North America, power prices in general are up. Now, this means that the ability for, for solar power to save money and save significant money and really make a, you know, a, an important financial impact on companies is great today. And that's, of course, what's driving what, what we call you know, the subsidy-free solar market. So just the solar market that's just built on customer value. It's not built on, on, on government incentives or subsidies. It's just built on solar, producing value for, for companies. It starts with the money. But then it goes on, of course, because we all know um, solar is, is, is green. Um, and, and is that important for businesses or not? I mean, certainly, uh, it, it's, that's not always a given. Uh, it's a bit uneven. But what really has happened on the sustainability side is that, I, I would say, competition. I mean, sustainability has become uh, a tool of competition in industry verticals and in an increasing amount of industry verticals. And solar being such a clear-cut example, and it's a very tangible example of, of something you can do uh, to reduce your carbon footprint, um, it's just the, the way that companies approach solar for its uh, green credentials today is just so significantly more focused than it was, let's say, just five years ago. Um, and companies, of course, also have increasingly uh, clear targets for what they want to achieve in terms of sustainability, uh, the, the science-based target initiative, all these different initiatives based on um, the Paris Agreement, based on uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So those are two really important things that have changed and made solar important. Um, the third thing I would say, which is which is changing now, um, and, and it's 
but it's going to be very important uh, over the over the the next decade is how storage is being coupled with with solar, um, and that is important because it means that solar becomes so much more than just a way of saving money. It it just it uh, finds a way to create new values. It can create resilience uh, for companies. It can uh, help them withstand the the uh, the stress uh, of extreme weather events of, of the risk of blackouts. Um, and it can help the grids to get uh, more stable. And this is where it's worth looking at the other uh, important constituents of, of the solar market, as you were mentioning, uh, so grid operators and, and, and policymakers, because this change, I mean, solar coupling up with storage to become a truly distributed um, way of, of, of creating intelligent energy, not just intermittent energy, that is very important for, I would say, the general acceptance of solar into the system. Uh, we, we have so much left to, to build out with solar, but in order to do that, in order to have a license from society at, to, to do that, we need to show that solar can fit into the grid and not, not just um, be a nuisance to the grid. And that's what happened when we, when we put this together with storage and with all of the intelligence that comes with that. Um, it's truly a force of of resilience and of long-term sustainability. So those would be like the three big themes over the last couple of years that have changed. Okay. Well, great. And as you've written and talked about uh, on numerous occasions, one of the drivers of corporate solar power deployment in the U.S. certainly uh, over over the last decade or so has been the use of long-term capital through power purchase agreements or PPAs, as they're called, to build out solar arrays or to purchase solar from other sources. So tell our listeners how a PPA works and give us a couple examples of companies that people might be familiar with who have used them to manage their cost of capital for solar. Yeah, so PPAs, it's a power purchase agreement, as you mentioned, but it's actually more than just a power purchase agreement because it is a way uh, to get your power from something that is new, that is being built for you. And that's the essence of why PPAs exist. So um, it's not just two parties selling or buying power from each other. It's one party building and owning and operating a solar asset in order to sell power to someone else. And that, this is important for a couple of reasons. I mean, the first reason is that the way PPAs look, they're really long-term. Uh, and why do they have to be so long-term? Well, it's because they need to provide the kind of steady cash flow that's needed to build out a new solar asset. Um, from a sustainability point of view, it's kind of interesting to think of it as it's really a, a power contract that you sign, but you, you truly add new power to the grid. You're not just buying something with a green stamp on it. You, you, you're really signing something to buy power, but the consequence of you signing that is that new clean power is being built out. So that's truly sustainability. It's what we call additionality. Uh, your, your sustainability actions are adding something uh, to the world. So a PPA, why would you sign a PPA? And what happens when you sign it? Well, companies sign PPAs because they want to save money uh, uh, and then design it because they want to go green. That, that's really the clear incentive to, to sign it. But even more important is to think about what, what, what does not happen when you sign a PPA. So when a company signs a PPA, they're not, there's no capital outlay. You only pay for power as it's produced. You're not investing in the solar assets. You don't have capital at risk. You Also, because of that, you don't have 
any other particular kind of risk. You don't have the operational risk of running the asset. You don't have to, to, to make sure that you have a, a team in place to, to understand this. You simply buy power after the fact, after it's produced at a, at a fixed uh, cost. And this simplicity, and it's so similar to just buying power from the grid, is what has made uh, PPAs uh, a preferred way, you know, probably the largest way globally in which companies access the solar market. Um, and I could add, uh, just to give some more flavor on, on how this happens in, in, in the real world. So the, the two main ways of doing it is either uh, what we call behind the meter, which is essentially on the rooftop. So mm -hmm. someone, a developer like ourselves or like other developers, build a solar asset on, on the premises of a company, on the rooftop. Um, and they own and operate it and they sell the power to the company. This is behind the meter uh, PPAs. The other way of doing it, which can get be significantly larger on the asset, the individual asset can be significantly larger, is when we do grid-connected PPAs. And that's really when we build something very big out on a field somewhere, we put the power into the grid, but contractually, the power is getting wheeled or it's getting sent over uh, to the buyer. It, it's not produced on the premises of the buyer, but it still serves the same essential purpose of, of capping their costs and, and, and helping them go green. Um, you asked for a few examples of this. So, I mean, I would at this point say, like, it's who's doing this? Well, basically anyone with a power need that is somewhat significant. Okay. So, uh, just I can give one interesting example that I'm aware of in New York City, for example, the, the Bloomberg Tower uh, is solar powered, but it is not a building that can um, support enough of an array to power its resource needs. So what they do is they built their arrays on tops of warehouses out in Brooklyn, and that's where the, the power gets sent to them um, through the grid. Uh, so in a, in a sense, it's a similar type of, of infrastructure to building it out on an open field where you might have a campus for a, a corporation um, as, as an example. So now you're committed, very committed to using the PPA type of, of funding infrastructure for European companies as well. Um, are EU banks and private equity firms open to this type of capital funding structure? Oh, oh yeah, and, and that's been um, a great shift over the last five years, I would say. So the solar market in Europe originally was very much based on, on government subsidies and incentives. That's really where it came from. So when we started doing this, uh, I think we did the first uh, behind the meter PPAs in, in the, um, for solar in Europe, essentially, or, or at least uh, one of the very first in, in 2014. Uh, it was more or less impossible to, to uh, get the financial institutes to, to understand what we were doing, uh, which is n normal. I mean, if you're the first, first one to do something, it, it always takes a, a while to teach and, and to educate and make it feel, you know, like a reasonable thing to do and not just like something you're a crazy <laughs> entrepreneurial <laughs> idea. <laughs> but, but then I think two big things have happened. I mean, the first big thing is just the general way that, that capitals come around to, to, to look at sustainability. Um, and then secondly, of course, the U.S. market for for solar PPAs. It's been a great, um, it's been a great learning opportunity for for European financial institutes. Mm. So to, today it's great. I mean, today uh, I think this is the future of, of solar in Europe, um, and and an increasing amount of financial backers are are seeing that 
Um, so I think we're beyond the point where financing was the bottleneck for this. Uh, at this point, the bottleneck for, for the industry in Europe is just, you know, just building it out at the right clip and, and getting, you know, getting access to enough panels, getting access to enough buyers, just the, the, the general pains of building an industry uh, at, at the high clip. Yeah. Well, I know that there is those types of bottlenecks in uh, the, the solar deployment um, uh, infrastructure around the world based on supply chain issues, just like there are many industries today coming out of the, of the, the COVID uh, um, pandemic. And, and where are you seeing those types of things uh, getting resolved or are you seeing those getting resolved over the next few years? Yeah, we, we, we really do. And we spend a lot of time trying to peek around the corner, as it were, on the, the global supply chain for solar, because it is a very, um, it's a long supply chain. It starts with, with silicon, it starts with actually quartz stones being mined, uh, predominantly in China. Uh, they, they, they move into panels, uh, and the panels get shipped to Europe, and then, and then they get built by EPCs in Europe. Um, so looking at that supply chain as you're saying it's been very disruptive over the covid period now there is um maybe because of that that disruption there's oversupply uh, on the horizon um and this is exactly what happened about 10 years ago when there was a supply crunch in solar it was difficult to get panels for about half a year and this really triggered um an an enormous build out of the capacity for for solar panels which is what's been driving this fantastic cost curve over the last 10 years so i think i'm, I'm very hopeful we're seeing the same thing now so we've seen a mm. um a supply tightness over a year that's created a great impulse to to people to build out silicon production uh, module production cell production um and the industry is going to reap the benefits of that for for the next decade is I'm, I'm i'm very positive that that will happen Oh, that's very exciting to hear. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we brought that into the conversation. And now, given expectations, as you and I the last time we spoke, you were talking about the advances in solar technology being sort of inter. We're at a point where they're incremental. In other words, there aren't big, huge leaps in in, in technology improvements being made going forward. And you were speaking spoke about the need for real entrepreneurial vision within the solar industry and the renewable energy sector as a prerequisite for to continue the build out and the growth could you say a little bit more about that yeah sure i mean fundamentally i think entrepreneurship is really what stands between where we are now and where we have to be so solar power today is but i think three slightly north of three percent of global power production and mm -hmm. it's it's going to be you know 20 times that in the end or, or even more and, and, and really the path from where we are now to get there is the difficult and, and challenging uh, uh, business of entrepreneurship, of just figuring out how to deliver solar panel to customers, how to create more value, how to make it easier and simpler for customers to buy solar panel, solar power, um, the experimentation with business models. And then, of course, the integration, as we talked about, into with storage and intelligence which then creates um, a, a huge amount of new opportunities for, for value, but you still, you know, the packaging of that value into something that's easy to buy for customers, easy to understand, um, easy to see the value of. That's what entrepreneurs do. I mean, that's where we need entrepreneurs to, to do it. The 
the panels in themselves. They're they're they are square uh, panels producing <laughs> power. They don't they don't sell themselves, and and uh, and the same with the storage. So. No, truly, I think this is uh, uh, one of those classic examples of a big and disruptive technology, but it needs the overlay of smart entrepreneurship to to truly change the world. In a minute or so, can you give us an example uh, through your company of how you've helped a a potential um, consumer of solar see the value of your entrepreneurial focus on how to help them build it out without any names being shared, of course, but just uh, a, a, a situation where you were able to help someone come to the conclusion, yes, this makes sense to move forward with. Oh yeah, I mean, of course, and, and that's really what we, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's the everyday business of the company. So, so in Sweden, we didn't have, um, we didn't have a solar build-out uh, until we started to create actual business models around it. So let's take an example of Swedbank, uh, one of the largest banks in the region. They came to us a, a couple of years ago and asked, you know, they had an, an idea that, that they would want to get their power from solar, but they had no particular concept of how, how that could be done. So what we did was we created, uh, so we created the first large solar park in Sweden. Um, we imported the, the PPA concept from, from the US market um, and also from, from some of the wind deals that had been done elsewhere in Europe. Uh, we packaged it so that it was a PPA that could be signed by Swedbank in, in, in a simple way. Uh, we found a place to build a solar park that was uh, very visible, uh, you know, an attractive place that, that would be something that, that would clearly be talked about and, and, and seen uh, in Sweden. Um, and uh, we got Swedbank to, uh, or ultimately we, we came to a point where Swedbank uh, did uh, a structured uh, and request for proposals based on this to see if, if we could be compared uh, to someone else in the market, uh, which we could, because that, that request for proposals in itself triggered others to uh, attempt the same thing. Uh, we were lucky to end up winning it, and we delivered this to Swedbank, and that became the first large-scale solar park in Sweden, uh, the first solar PPA uh, in Sweden, and it's something that's for Swedbank has been a visible project, uh, saved money, just been a, a point of, of pride for the organization. So that's one of those projects where you look back at and, and you just realize that if you don't put in the work and, and the thinking of actually creating something new, then nothing happens. <laughs> well, you're right about that, but congratulations. That, uh, that's uh, turned out to be a very um, sort of a display project for you, I guess. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the idea of grid operators uh, and, and, and their engagement in this whole solar build-out globally. Can you talk a little bit about distributed grids? I think a lot of our uh, listeners are not very familiar with that concept here in the U.S. They're used to these very structured grids around the country. What does a distributed grid look like from the, you know, from the perspective of incorporating solar power into its process of delivering energy? So the, 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 the change of the grid uh, to something distributed is, is logical because the build-out of something like like solar is happening on the on the, the distributed level, which means just that solar is something that happens on a it's modular. You can build it small, you can build it very small, you can build it mid-sized. Um, and it kind of finds a way to fit in across all these situations. Uh, 
Um, and that's very different from anything that's happened before in the grid, because as the grid was built out, the only way of generating power was the very, very large centralized uh, power plants. So as solar is being built out, you suddenly have all these um, numerous spots across the grid where you you have someone like us, the developer, building something, producing power, and now uh, adding storage, adding intelligence, uh, adding mm -hmm. intelligence around when the power is being dispatched. So this is something that's uh, is not only changing the grid, it's very valuable in the end to the grid, but it's going to be disruptive for the grid business models. So it's it's difficult for the grid too uh, on, on the on the on the business level, whereas on the technical level, it's something good for the grid. It makes it more resilient. It makes it um, it, it makes it more intelligent. But the big challenge going forward is going to be uh, to, to work together. I mean, for, for developers like us to work together with the grid operators, find some kind of harmony in, in what is initially <laughs> not a very harmonious uh, uh, relationship uh, a lot of times. Just find find that harmony in, in making it work and, and uh, creating value together. Harold, listen, I I definitely want to continue our conversation. We're running, we're running out of time today, but I'd certainly like to revisit this conversation down the road a ways and, and see how things are going for you in Europe as you as you build out more and more of these types of infrastructure developments. So thanks very much for your time today. If you would tell our listeners where they can find out more information about Alight's work uh, to increase solar power deployment by companies in Europe and around the globe. And well, how can people reach you to get more specific information about the, the, the topics that we've discussed on today's program? Yes, you can reach us at, at the, the web pages, uh, alight-energy.com. Uh, and uh, if you want to email me directly, then you'll reach me at harold at alight-energy.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, feel free to to email me. It's uh, it's it's uh, I'm very passionate about energy transition. So uh, any opportunity to have a conversation about that uh, is always uh, is always fun for me. Great. Well, thanks again, Harold Overholm, the co-founder and the CEO of Alight. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Music